We are in Deuteronomy chapter 7 uh, this morning. And look at the verse uh, mentioned at the bottom of that slideshow, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. It says, Blessed be the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The word chosen is so special, especially for us believers. It explains to us what it means to be elected. Because the doctrine of election is a very important doctrine that the Bible teaches us. And so many people are confused with the doctrine of election. And let me give, give you some instances. People think that God elects or chooses people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. And because of that teaching, uh, that, that's where uh, Calvinism arises from, many people think that since God assigns people to heaven and some to hell, then what's the point of preaching the word of God? What's the point of sharing the good news to people? Because God has made his choice and people don't have their own choices anymore whether to accept or to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's been going around for some time since the time of John Calvin until late in the 20th century. But if you come to think of it, just here in Ephesians 1.3, it says there, According as he has chosen us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. So God chooses people not for heaven or for hell, but God chooses people to be holy and to be without blame. Never in the Bible that you can see that God says, I'm assigning a group of people to hell and assigning some group of people to heaven. His desire, the heart's desire of our Lord God is to put people into heaven, as many people as possible. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Here, the Apostle Peter was talking about the end times, what's going to happen when this world ends. And here in chapter 3, verse 9, a very important passage that he shows us that God is so patient and so long-suffering. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. Many people are thinking that God is so um, late in his coming to judge this world. And many uh, people who are unbelievers are telling Christians during the time of the Apostle Peter, when is the coming of your Lord? He's promising this for thousands of years already. But the Bible says he is not slack. He is not, delay, he's not late. He's just on time. He knows his own schedule. But take note of this. He is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the desire of the Lord God. His desire is not for people to go to hell, but for as many people as possible to go to heaven. 
And why is it important for us to understand this doctrine of election? This doctrine of being chosen to be holy and without blame in the eyes of the Lord God himself. Just think about this. If we know that we are going, some people are going to heaven and some people are going to hell, and those people who are going to hell, when they are already in hell, in the lake of fire, is it possible that they will blame God? Is it right for them to blame God if God said, I'm going to put you into hell, and then they're suffering right now in hell, in the fires of hell? Just think about it. With human reasoning, you will think that, yes, they could blame God because they didn't have any choice to accept Jesus Christ or reject him. God just assigned them to hell. So they can blame God in that case. But the fact is that the Bible says, no, God did not assign people to heaven or to hell. He gives them the choice. That's why we have free will. So people who will go to hell cannot blame God, you put me into hell, that's why I am here. No, God would say, you put yourself into hell because you rejected my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus Christ said. If people reject him, if people will not choose him to believe in him, then they are already condemned to hell. And that's why the doctrine of election is so important to understand very well. Other, otherwise, we will be confused and we will not be sharing the good news anymore because we think that people are relegated either to heaven or to hell already. And we can apply this doctrine of election to the people of Israel. So we go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. We know the people of Israel has been always called as the chosen people, right? Back in the Old Testament, they are called chosen by God. And we will see that in our passage this morning. But most of the problems in interpreting John Daniel uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 is, what is it all about? Is it all about the policies or the regulations or the laws that the people of Israel should be doing as they enter the promised land? Or is it something else? So when we read the passage, Deuteronomy chapter 7, we need to find what is the key verse or the key passage of this chapter. And the key passage is in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. So let's take a look at verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord thy God has chosen thee. That's the key to understanding the whole chapter. It's not about the policies or the plan on how to make war against the people in Canaan. It is all about how the people of Israel should act or behave as people chosen by God. That's why the title of our message this morning is Chosen to be Holy. 
Israel was chosen by God to be his holy people. And God has chosen all of us who are believers to be his holy people, the holy Gentile people. So you see here again in verse 6, three key words that we're going to look at. Verse 6, we talk, we'll talk about the word holy. Israel are unholy people. Okay? And then secondly, it says the word chosen. The Lord has chosen thee. And then thirdly, they are called also a special people. And that's why we always talk to one another, you are special in the eyes of God. But what does it mean to be special in the eyes of God? So we're going to look at those three important words as we go along. So the big question for all of us is this, what does it mean to be chosen as God's people? What does it mean to be chosen as God's people? Firstly, in the first five verses of Deuteronomy chapter 7, being chosen as God's people requires separation. Election requires separation. But don't be so happy right away. Separation does not talk about marriages, like divorcing or so on and so forth. This is a different word from what the Bible is telling us. Okay? The word separation means to be holy, to be set apart. And to be set apart means to be different, to be uniquely different. From what? From other groups of people. And especially for us believers to be different from the unbelievers. It doesn't mean that we isolate ourselves from the lost people. Because in that case, if we isolate ourselves from the lost people, from those who are unbelievers, then how can we preach the good news? So it's not all about that. Separation is about our character, our attitude, our way of life. Our lifestyle should be different from the unbelievers. Okay, so let's look at verses 1 to 5, Deuteronomy chapter 7. The word of the Lord says, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and has cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hevites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. So Moses was speaking the word of God and telling his own people, the people of Israel, when you enter the promised land, these are the things that you're going to do. You cast out many nations to drive them away from this land. And there's a very important reason. We're going to look at that later on. In verse 2, you see, When the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Many people are offended when they see this in our Bible. Can you imagine God telling his people to completely destroy? Nowadays, that will be called genocide. Killing a group of people just like what's happening right now in the in, in israel right now many people are being killed especially the israelites of course many palestinians are being killed and they call that genocide but this is different from what's happening in the world right now because god has a very important reason why he wanted his people 
to destroy all the Canaanites. Remember, the Canaanites are not completely guilt-free. In, in Genesis, God told Abraham that the Amorites or the Canaanites will be punished by God after several hundreds of years. So what does that mean? That means that God has been giving the Canaanites ample time and opportunity to turn to him for hundreds of years and for, in our case right now, for thousands of years. All the people who are unbelievers have been given the chance by the Lord God to repent of their sins and turn towards the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Amorites here during the time of the Israel were not guilt-free. They were not sinless people. They're actually immoral and idolatrous people. And God has given them so much time to change their ways. And that's why when he brought people, the people of Israel, to Canaan, he can say, I'm judging these Canaanites by allowing you to destroy all these people. And what is the reason why God wants them to completely destroy the Canaanites? You see that in verses 3 to 5. Neither shall thou make, uh, neither shall thou make marriages with them. That's the problem. When these people of Israel will enter the land of Canaan, there's a great possibility that their children will intermarry with the Canaanites. It's not just about intermarrying with a strange nation or a foreign nation, it's, but it's all about entering into a covenant with their idols, with their gods. Because when they enter into marriages with these idolatrous people, their children will follow also the false gods rather than the true God of the Bible. That's the reason why God is always telling his people to separate, to be holy. I don't want you to have an inter, a mixed in marriage, a mixed marriage with other people because they will pull you into their false gods. The modern-day application for all of us, modern-day believers, is when we marry unbelievers. I remember one um, um, brother of a pastor back in the Philippines. He, he was so in love. He's a, a great Christian, a devoted Christian. And he was very much in love with this lady who is sadly not a believer. But he still chose to marry her. And you know what happened to him right now? Instead of going to a Christian church, he goes, he goes now to the Catholic church. He's no longer in the Lord. He's following the pagan gods of that old religion. So you see, that's the reason why God is so serious in telling us, don't be unequally yoked, especially in terms of marriages, because that's a lifetime relationship. Don't ever think that you're going to pull your spouse towards the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's a possibility. There are so many instances that those things happen, but don't guarantee 
that that will happen. That's why our young people here, you're not married yet, you're going to get married soon, in a few years' time, be serious in following the Word of God. Do not be unequally yoked. Because otherwise, you will be pulled into the other direction rather than the direction of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of God telling His people, do not marry the children. Don't, don't intermarry your children with the children of these pagans. And not only that, verse 4 it says, For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled. The Lord God will be angry with you, will be displeased against you. You know, there's no other person or being in this world that you don't want to be angry with you. And that's our Lord God. Because if he's angry with you, you'll suffer all kinds of consequences that you will not enjoy or delight in. It's better to anger other people because of your Christian faith rather than anger the Lord God who saved you from, your, from all your sins. God can be angry. And you know, when God is angry, he has that kind of righteous anger. And he has the right to be angry when we disobey his commands. Not only that, they should not be intermarrying. Verse 5 says, But thus shall ye deal with them, you shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. When the people of Israel enters the promised land, they will find all these wooden poles, these images, rocks, that, being that is being worshipped by the people of Canaan. And God says, completely destroy them, burn them. Don't just put them into your shelves or in, into your houses. Destroy them completely because they will influence you into idolatry. So you see, the purpose of God in prohibiting us from doing some things in our life is because he doesn't want us to be influenced into the wrong direction. He wants us always into the right direction, the right path that he designed for each one of us. We have encountered so many examples in the Bible, back in the Old Testament. Remember Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest king in the world during the time, the most prosperous, the richest king. But what was his downfall? He married 700 wives and had 300 concubines. And all of them were pagan worshippers. So at almost the end of his life, what did he do? He built temples and altars for those false gods. His heart was no longer after God, but after the false gods of his wives. You may be saying, oh, I, won't be, I won't do that. I can inhibit myself. I can stop myself from doing those things. But we cannot rely on our own strength. We need the word of God. We need the Lord Jesus Christ to continue to strengthen us so that we cannot be influenced by the false gods of this world. It's a great tragedy for the people of Israel all throughout the ages. Since the time that they left Egypt until right now, they are worshipping 
the false gods of their own religion. One more king, King Ahab. King Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He was not a good king, but in some ways, he was still an Israelite. But the problem is, he married the most wicked woman during the time. Do you remember the name of King Ahab's wife? Jezebel. He, she was the most wicked queen and woman during the time. She killed all people, especially the priests during the time of Elijah. She was very, very wicked. She influenced Ahab to kill Naboth so that they can possess his own vineyard. And because of that, Ahab was influenced by his own wife into worshiping idols. They worshiped lots of idols. Right now, the people of Israel are involved in this so-called syncretic worship or syncretism. And what is it all about? Syncretism is all about you worship God, the God of the Bible, but at the same time, you also worship other gods. That means you're like in the middle. You worship Jesus Christ, but you also worship the false gods. It's like telling God, God, I cannot decide whether I worship you or I worship the false gods. But God says, I am a jealous God. Worship me alone. I am the only God, the true God that you should be worshiping. If you are here today, are you worshiping other gods in your life also? Perhaps you are like the Israelites. You worship God, yes, especially on Sunday morning. But when you come home and all throughout the week, you worship the God of money, the God of treasures, the God of technology, and all kinds of idols in this world. I pray and hope that you are not like them. If, but if you are, it's time for you to change your ways. It's time for you to get back to the Lord God. Repent of your sins and tell him, Lord, I'm sorry. I bow down to the gods of this world. I want to go back to you as my one and only God. Secondly, to be chosen as God's people, that means that we are elected or chosen because of God's love. Just like Israel was chosen out of God's love. So in verse 6, again, Thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Holy. I told you a while ago, the word holy means to be different, to be uniquely different from other people. And how can we be different from other people? In our own behavior, in our own attitude. Instead of becoming proud, we ought to become humble. Instead of glorying in ourselves, we glory in God. Instead of fighting back, getting even at our enemies, we pray for them. We bless them. We remain kind to them despite their persecution and their insults upon us. That's how we're supposed to behave. When we are in the workplace, 
we diligently work. We work hard. And we don't follow the example of other people who just works for the sake of earning money. They're doing their best. As God's people, we do our best. Remember, whether you are at work or in this church or wherever you are, who, um, whom are you serving? You are serving the Lord. Always think about that. When you are in the workplace, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, He doesn't expect less of you. He, does, he expects the best that can come out from you. So do a hard work. God wants us to do our best for Him. That's how we behave as God's people. Secondly, we are also called chosen, just like the Israelites. That means it's a priority from God. God prioritizes us to be chosen as His own people. And remember, He chooses us not because we have our own merit or because we deserve to be chosen. He said, is there anybody here who deserves to be saved? Is there anybody here to deserve, who is deserved to be in heaven? No one. All of us deserve to be in hell. So there's nothing in us, there's nothing good in us that will put us into heaven. The only thing that is good in our life that can bring us to heaven is our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one the reason why we are chosen and made righteous in the eyes of God. We do not deserve to be chosen. And the people of Israel, uh, according to God, says, The Lord did not set, verse 7, The Lord did not set His love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. There's no merit in the people of Israel. They do not deserve to be chosen, especially nowadays. Think of, look at Israel right now. Do they deserve to be chosen by God with the way that they behave in the eyes of God right now? In our own human reasoning, you would say, no, they don't deserve to be chosen by God. But God's choice for them is out of love. And because God loves them as He loves all people in this world, He chooses them to be His special people. It's not based on their merit. It's not based on their number. But it's based on and grounded on God's love. And when we talk about God's love, it talks about His loyalty, His faithfulness, His affection towards His chosen people. And this affection is based on his promises and faithfulness. Remember last week when I talked about Genesis chapter 12, God made this promise to Abram. And many people would say, why did he choose Abram? Why did he not choose other people? I don't know the answer. And I believe no other person in this world can answer that question. But the only thing that we can understand is this. When God makes a choice, it is always a perfect choice. So we cannot question God regarding His choice because His choice is always perfect. But how about us? When we make a choice, it's not always perfect. Sometimes we make the right choice, sometimes we make the wrong choice. But God always makes 
the right choices. He always makes the right decision. So the only thing we can do is to trust that what he did in the past is always right. And what he's doing right now is also right. Why is he allowing this war to happen in Israel? Why is he allowing all these problems in our life to happen? He has his own reason and plan. And sometimes he tells us, but most of the time he doesn't tell us. Because that's his own choice. But most importantly, remember the Bible says, God puts us into test, into those areas of difficulties in our life in order to develop our character. To develop patience or perseverance in our life. And that's the essence of following Jesus Christ. When we endure all those trials in our life, then we become more pure and we become more like our Lord Jesus Christ in our character and in our way of life. Here in verse 8, Deuteronomy chapter 7, But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bad men from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That's how special Israel is until now in the eyes of God. When we talk about the word special, what comes to mind? It, uh, when we see the word special, we say that this person is unique. This person is um, love. This person is different from other people. But you know what? The word special here means treasured possession. Treasured possession. That means Israel belongs to God, just as all of us belongs to God. Don't you know that we are also special in the eyes of God? Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, because you might be saying, oh, it's only Israel who is special in the eyes of God. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 shows us that modern-day believers, even Gentile believers, are also special in the eyes of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar. Do you know the word peculiar here? When we talk about peculiar, they will say, oh, these people are weird. No, the word peculiar here means unique and treasured. Don't you realize that you are a treasure in the eyes of God, that you are important, that you are belong to him you are special to him you are a peculiar people unto god and because you are a peculiar people to god he treasures you that much he loves you so much what is our responsibility verse 9 that ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light in short tell others about your god Tell others about Jesus Christ because you are a treasured possession in his eyes. God loves you so much. Would you love him back? Would you also show him that he is special to you, that he's the only one that you worship? Going back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, 
verse 9, it says here, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Because of God's love towards them, God shows his mercy. Okay? It says here in verse 10 also, He repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. So verse 9 and 10 talks about the two sides of God. When people sin against him, there will be consequence. In our case, we call that discipline. In the case of the unbelievers, we call that punishment as a consequence of their disobedience. But here, the Bible says that he repays or he disciplines his own people only, uh, if you see that in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it only unto the fourth generation of people. But how long does he show his mercy? In verse 9, it says, thousand generations. Compared to four generations and thousand generations, which is much longer. The thousand generations. So, what can we see here? We see that God's love and mercy is really overwhelming. It's more abounding compared to His judgment and discipline and punishment of people. And isn't that the God that we worship? The God who is loving? The God who chose us based on His love for all of us. And what is our responsibility because of His love for us? Verse 11, Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I commanded this day to do them. Is it really hard to obey the commandments of God? 1 John 5.3 tells us that the commandments of God are not grievous. They are not burdensome. They are not difficult to obey. But how come it's very hard for us to obey the commandments of God? It's because we don't want to surrender and to submit to His authority. We want our own way. We want to become like our old nature, following our own heart. We have heard many times through this world, when you have a problem or when you need to make a decision, what would they tell you? Listen to your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your desires. But the Bible says, no, when you need to make a decision, don't follow your heart because your heart is deceitful. It is desperately wicked above all things. We follow Christ. We follow His path. We follow His direction. We follow His commandments when we make our own decisions. Is it hard? Is it difficult to follow Christ's commands? It's not. They are very simple. And the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ are summed up into two things. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So all of the other commandments are hinged upon those two great commandments that Jesus Christ mentioned in the Gospels. Is it really hard and difficult to obey God? It is more difficult to disobey God. Why? Because of the consequences of our sins. Just look at Israel. 
When they entered the, the, Can the land of Canaan, they constantly disobeyed God. And what happened? Some of them were destroyed. When they intermarried with the Canaanites, they fall into idolatry. And all of those things that are happening right now are because of their lack of surrender towards God, their disobedience towards God's command. The Bible is so clear already that the Messiah is our Lord Jesus Christ, but they keep on rejecting Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They're still looking for the Messiah until now. They're oblivious to the truth that Jesus Christ has already come. And when he comes back, he'll come back as the judge, no longer as the Savior. And that's why we Gentile believers, if we know some Jewish people in our circle, in our community, tell them, let them read from the Word of God that Jesus Christ is their Messiah, that they need to follow him, that they need to surrender their lives, to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very important now, right now, brethren, to do that. Because many people are dying, Israelis and even Palestinians. Do we know if those people have been preached with the gospel? Perhaps. But we'll never know. Those hundreds and those thousands of people that are killed right now could have been going to hell right now because they did not trust in Jesus Christ. Their blood is in our hands if we have not done our responsibility. We don't know, we don't need to go beyond our community, not only to the Jewish people, but to our family members, friends who are not believers yet. Tell them about Jesus Christ. Tell them that there's an opportunity, there's time and you know what? I don't usually share this, but when we share the good news of the, of the Word of God to other people, and you experience at least a person coming to know Jesus Christ, there's that feeling of joy. You experience the joy in your heart. Remember the Samaritan woman? When he found that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, what did she do? She forgot about all, his, all her pails of water that she needs to take care of. She dropped them off and then went to her own village and tell all the Samaritans in her community, I have found the Messiah. Can we do that also this coming week? When we go out in the, in the parks, in the malls, in our workplace, I have found the Messiah and that Messiah is Jesus Christ and I want you to know him also. Just like Andrew, one of the first converts to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ. When he knew that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, what did he do? He pulled Peter aside and told him, I have found the Messiah. Come and see him. Point, the, point all people to the Lord Jesus Christ, always. Don't point them to you or even to this church. Point them to your Lord and Savior. Tell them that they can also be saved, just like you are saved. Now in the last part of this passage, verses 12 to 26, we see the blessing. So if we are faithful to our election, we are obeying the commands of God, 
then that will result into blessing. Here in verses 12 to 26, we see different kinds of blessings, and especially material blessings. In verses 12 to 16, we see blessings in terms of fertility. Okay, so let's go at verse 12. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these commandments, judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear unto thy fathers, and he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. God's love never fails. Remember that. And God's love for Israel is still existing until now. It doesn't mean that Israel right now is in the verge of war, perhaps with all the Arab nations around, around it, that God doesn't love, him any, love he, her anymore. God still loves the nation of Israel. But they need to trust in Him in order to be truly saved. Not only saved from this war, but saved from their sins. The promise of God, mostly in the Old Testament, are material or more of uh, concrete okay so you see here in verse 13 it says he will also bless the fruit of thy womb that means their women will become fertile they will have lots of children and also the fruit of thy land thy corn thy wine thine oil the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep in the land which is swear unto thy fathers to give thee so god is talking about fertility in all aspects of their life because Remember, their primary occupation during that time is farming. So they need to have soil that is fertile. So God promised them fertility in the human womb and also fertility in their flocks and also in their soil. In verse 15, he promises uh, blessing in their health. Verse 15, the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Blessing means good health. And many people would ask, how about us modern-day believers? Does God guarantee to all of us that if we obey him, he will bless us with fertile womb, fertile soil, fertile uh, a good health, and everything else? Of course! But there's no guarantee that that will always happen. Because the most important blessing that God appropriates for his believers nowadays are spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings, right? Being different in our attitude, having the fruit of the Spirit, in our behavior, our lifestyle, the changes in our lifestyle. Those are the blessings that God gives us nowadays. And those things, the material blessings, are just extras. They are bonuses. If we have them, it's all right. But if not, it's also good because God knows the best for all of us. And that's why many people are so discouraged. And some people are turning away from the Christian faith because they thought that the blessings of God are always material. And if God is not blessing you materially, then you are not truly blessed. Then God does not love you anymore. We need to correct that kind of concept, that perception in our minds. God's blessings 
are mostly spiritual. And if we are given material blessings, then we just have to praise and thank the Lord for what He has given us. But otherwise, the most important blessing that He gives us right now are spiritual blessings. Now in 17 to 20, uh, verse 16, it says here, Thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee, then I shall have no pity upon them, neither shall thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. So the blessing here in verse 16 is that there is protection from the enemy. And that's what's happening right now in Israel. Even though right now there's news that the Hezbollah terrorists uh, is um, attacking now the northern part of Israel uh, from Lebanon, God is still protecting his nation of Israel. And that is prom- that's his promise back in Deuteronomy, back in the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And remember, God, when he makes promises, he will always fulfill them to the letter. He, ne- he never ignores and neglects his promises to his own people. And the same thing with all of us. He protects us from our enemies. But some people would be discouraged because why did God not protect my, my, my family member who is a Christian from this enemy? He or she died. Remember, the protection that God promises to us more than they believe is are not always a concrete or material protection. It could be protection from the enemy by taking us home into heaven. And, but during the time of Israel, that's the protection that God wants for his own nation. And until now, he is fulfilling his own promises. Protection from the enemy is also one of the blessings. Now in 17 to 26, there is an emphasis on the protection from their enemies. In 17, if thou shalt say in thine heart, these nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? 18 says, thou shalt not be afraid of them, but shall remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. 19, the great temptations which thine eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, and the mighty hand, and the stretched out arm, whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out. So shall the Lord thy God do unto all the people of whom thou art afraid. Take note of that in verse 18. Thou shalt not be afraid of your enemies. How many times are we afraid of many things in our life? If we look into the Bible and search all the passages that talk about God commanding us, do not fear, do not be afraid. Probably we can gather about not only 365 times, but more than that. And what does that tell us? That tells us that God doesn't want us to fear people or to fear anything. What does he want us to fear? He wants us to fear only him. Fear God only. And you know, when we talk about fear of the Lord, it talks about respecting Him, giving Him the reverence that He deserves. Because He is the only one who deserves that kind of worship from us. And also, not only reverence, but also a healthy kind of fear towards Him. Fear that when we 
disobey him, we're going to offend him, we're going to get him angry and dis be displeased against us. That's the kind of fear that we need to develop. Sometimes we fear people more rather than we fear God. And that's a big problem. King Saul has that problem. When God told King Saul through Elijah, kill all the Amalekites, from the kings to the servants and all the cattle, all the animals and everything else. But what did he do? He spared the king, he spared the best of the flock. And he said to, Eli to Elijah, or to, to Samuel, he said to Samuel during that time, you know why I, why I did this? Because I feared the people whom I serving. Rather than he feared God, he feared people. When you fear people, that will be a trap in your life. That will be a great danger in your life. Because when you fear people, you will tend to please them. And when you tend to please them, then you will follow their lifestyle. But when you please God, you will follow His way. And when you follow His way, you will be in the right direction at all times. So do not be afraid. Continuing on in Deuteronomy 17, in verse 20, Moreover, the Lord thy God will send the hornet among them until they are that left and hide themselves from thee, be destroyed. Thou shalt not be again, thou shalt not be affrighted or not be troubled, for the Lord thy God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. God is always with us. Remember that at all times. No matter what happens, God is always with you. And the Lord thy God, verse 22, will put out those nations before thee by little and little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. So God says, I'm going to destroy all these enemies in the land of Canaan slowly. Not all of them at once. Because otherwise, the animals here, the beasts in the field will destroy you also, my people. So God wanted all these people to be destroyed slowly. Verse 23, But the Lord thy God shall deliver them unto thee and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed. 24, He shall deliver their kings into thine hand and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee until ha thou have destroyed them. You see what's happening here? God says, I will destroy them. I will hand over the kings toward you. I will hand over these people towards you. So God leads them and they just have to follow. The same with all of us. We follow Jesus Christ. We don't come before him. He's always in front of us, whatever situation we are in. And that's because, and that's because he continues to bless us, he continues to protect us. And that's why he is our shepherd. We follow his voice and we follow his direction. And we will never go on a detour. We will never go on into the right, wrong path if we always follow Jesus Christ. Now in 2526, 
the graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. What is an abomination? It is something that is detestable, something that God hates. God hates sin and God hates idols. That's why he told Israel, destroy all those things. Don't just bury them on the ground. Destroy them completely. Break them into pieces because they will influence you into idol worship. 26, neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house. Let thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it and thou shalt utterly abhor it for it is a cursed thing. What is a cursed thing? The idols. Back in the Philippines when I was uh, growing up, and for some of you, back in our old religion, right? You see in our, in our houses, they have like small altars with those, uh, they call it baby Jesus or Mary or uh, Saint Joseph or other kinds of saints or images. We thought that we are so blessed when we have those images and idols. But the Bible says those are cursed things. The word curse here in the Bible also means banned, prohibited, prohibited by God. And we still have family members back in the Philippines who are still in that idolatrous worship. And we need to tell them that those are not things that will bless them. Those things will curse them and will not bring them closer to the Lord. That's what they think, that they can be closer to God because of these idols. But they are not. They are cursed. They are abomination in, our, in the eyes of our God. So since we are chosen by God, what are we supposed to do? We need to aspire to be first holy, to be different from other people. We ought to share God's love to other people. And we ought to be a blessing to, others, to other people. Just as God told Abraham, you will be a blessing to all other nations. So how do we apply this? First, take some time to recall the faithfulness of God in your past. That's why once in a while I, I call some people here, how has God been faithful in your life in the past week? Always recall into your mind how God is faithful to you and then start thanking Him Telling God, God, thank you. You are so faithful. You still love me despite I'm a despicable human being. You still protect me. You still direct me into the right direction. Secondly, do an honest appraisal of your own faithfulness to God. Since God is faithful to you, evaluate yourselves. Are you also faithful to the Lord? Faithful in following His direction. And thirdly, if you think that you are not faithful to the Lord, then make a list of ways that you will be different in the future. Think about and ask God, God, how can I be more faithful to you? I have not been faithful to you this past week. Can you teach me how can I be faithful to you this coming week? And then lastly, assess some areas of your life where you are fearful. What's your number one fear? What are your top 10 fears? 
Then start committing them and surrendering them to the Lord. And tell the Lord, Lord, here are my fears. I'm giving them into your hands. I don't want to burden my heart anymore because of these fears. Remove all these fears. Because your perfect love will cast out all kinds of fear in my life. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen us because of your love. Not because of our own merit, but not because of we deserve, because we are good. It is because of your perfect love for your people that you chose us. But you desire, O oh Lord, that, you, that we become holy also. That we show that we are different from other people in terms of our behavior, in terms of our attitude, in, the ter in terms of our lifestyle, in the way we think, the way we speak, O oh Lord, the way we act, O oh Lord. So help us, Lord, this coming week to continue to assess ourselves, Lord. How faithful are we to you, Lord? And we know that we have not attained to your glorious standard. So help us, Lord, to change our ways, to find out from you how can we be more faithful in the very near future. And help us, Lord, to be more trusting in you rather than fearful of all the things that are happening in our life. Help us, Lord, to surrender our life completely to you and you alone knowing that you can change us, that you can use us mightily, Lord, as your chosen people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let us all stand up, please.